Okay, good evening. Thank you for braving the cold. If it's your first week here especially, I want to say thanks for being here. We're glad you're here. Um, what this is is about Jesus. And I want to acknowledge the reality that uh, some of the things we're doing are a bit odd, singing together in public, um, reading about the devil <laughs> in our passage might seem strange. Um, and we're here, um, I'm here because I believe this is true. I believe God's word is actually true, that Jesus was an actual historical person, um, and that his reality, his life changes everything. Um, and so uh, if you are here because your friend drug you here or because you're intrigued by this Jesus character, I'm glad you're here. You belong because this is not about any of us, it's about him. And he welcomes all of us. Uh, so um, RUF is a place, a Christian ministry on campus that uh, is for you to help you figure out how to follow Jesus on campus. And it's for Christians and non-Christians. My name is Willis Weatherford. I'm the campus minister here. So if we haven't met, would love to meet. Um, I, uh, I love to do yard work. I was saying last week... Um, this week, I felt really, really good about myself because with my four-year-old son, I pulled out like 10 T-posts. You guys know T-posts? Any agri- agricultural about? Yeah. Pulled out like 10 T-posts with like chains and like special bars and stuff. It was extremely fun. Um, so I like that kind of stuff. And, um, and what I really want you to hear about me is I'm not a good person. Not a good person. If you knew my story, um, I'd love to tell you sometime, you would also know that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and I love him, and tonight we're going to talk about his love, but we're also going to talk about a race I ran on Saturday <laughs> with a young lady named Austin, who I will also mention in the story. Sorry, Austin. Yeah, she's here. <laughs> so um, I thought it'd be a good idea to sign up for a trail race um, about two months ago, and... Um, I like running. I've done a lot of trail races in my past. This one was only nine miles. So I was like, piece of cake, no big deal. It's going to be great. Um, and I, didn't, I then proceeded to not train at all for like a month and a half. So as you might have guessed, the race did not go that well for me. Uh, I didn't do that well. I, <laughs> I came 26th, which doesn't sound that bad until you realize there's only like 50 people in the race. So like, I was right there in the middle, not close to the front. Um, but the whole time, uh, like... Austin and I started together. I was like, I'm not going to let Austin beat me. Like, I'm going to beat Austin. No matter what happens. Like, because I'm six foot four, Austin is slightly less than that. I figured, like, I should have an advantage to be able to handle this. And yet, around mile four or five, here she comes, passes me on an uphill. I'm like, how is she running that fast? And she kept on going. Austin won the female division. So, good job, Austin. Uh, and, you know, it just comes down to it. She had more power than me. That's all there's to it. She was stronger. She had more power. And that's what really counted. That's what mattered. Um, we're going to talk about power tonight. Talking about power. Uh, as we've said before in previous weeks, I think it's helpful to talk about uh, our world in terms of two kingdoms. Uh, Jesus presents to us the kingdom of God and says, here's the way it works. And it's totally different than the way you've learned to live. And what we live in is in a different kingdom that I'm calling the secular kingdom. And it's governed by social norms and, you know, our cultures. 
And uh, together we have learned to live in this way that is actually, even if we call ourselves Christians, often we live our lives totally apart from God and his ways. One of the ways this plays out is with power. The secular kingdom, this world we live in, has a systemic problem with power. We ourselves, in our own hearts, we have problems with power. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at our, our lives and how we have issues with strength, with power. And then we're going to look at how Jesus does power. What is power in the kingdom of God? How does Jesus use power? He actually uses it in a very paradoxical way, um, not one that we're familiar with. And it has potent meaning for our lives. So before we dig in, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this chance to dig into your word tonight. Just ask Jesus that you would make good on your promise that your word is living and active sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing even to the division of bone and marrow, soul and spirit. It sounds kind of scary, but we need you to come into our lives, bust them up and rebuild them. We ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have a power problem. Just two, two problems we have with power that we're going to talk about. Two problems that we have with power. First, we crave it. We crave power. We crave strength. I wish that I was stronger than Austin, but I wasn't. We crave influence. We crave the power of wealth. We crave being able to tell someone to do something and they just do it. Um, we crave the social capital that comes with having a lot of friends, being in the know, knowing the right people. We love to name drop, uh, being in the right sorority or fraternity. We love having the social capital that comes with studying harder and longer than everyone else. Don't you love just being able to say, yeah, I sit up till like 4 a.m. I sit up all night. Like, we like that. Um, we love making the best grades. There's lots of reasons for this, but one of them is like, that, that gives us a little, a little notch up on the, the power spectrum, the social capital. If we can hit all these marks, we feel strong, we feel enough, we feel in control. I'm saying, we're talking about power. We feel powerful. But the things that we run after to make us feel stronger, actually, they can weaken us sometimes. The things we devote ourselves to, they don't return our devotion. Our craving for power doesn't actually make us stronger. It makes us dependent. We become dependent on all these things that we chase after that we think are going to make us stronger, but actually become weaker because now we need those things. And if those things don't go well, if they turn against us or fail us, as they often do, now we're powerless. Now we're weak. So that's our first problem with power. We crave it, and the things we turn to for it, they don't deliver. The second power we have, the second problem with power we have, is we misuse it. We misuse power. Um, this is a good time to define power. What do I mean when I'm talking about that? Power, as we're talking about it, just the ability to do what you want to do and get what you want to get. So power is the ability to do what you want to do and get what you want to get. And when you have that, or to the degree that we do have that ability, we tend to misuse it. There's a problem. Um, we misuse it. So um, I like power tools. Uh, buying a home a few, like about a month ago, almost exactly a month ago, 25th of August, gave me the opportunity to um, justify buying power tools because it's like, well, now I've got to like steward this home. So like, I better get a power sander. So I got a power sander which is awesome. I actually had to like put joint compounds, maybe you know what that is, like to seal the, the gaps between drywall that I put in. 
this place in my kitchen ceiling where there was a crack. And it was like big cracks. So it like took a lot of joint compound. And so I, I plug in the power center. My wife's like, oh, is that going to like make a lot of dust? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's got like this little vacuum bag on it. So like it'll collect the dust. It'll be fine. So I started sanding. And it's like an immediate cloud of dust, of course. The vacuum bag is not effective. And it actually continues. I don't stop. Should have stopped. Didn't stop. It covers my entire kitchen, my entire dining room, entire living room, entire sunroom. The entire, like, every surface is now covered in white dust. And so, of course, I had to spend the like, last two hours of the night. It was like 10 p.m. We stayed up till midnight, my wife and I, cleaning everything to get the dust off. Why? Because I miss you. I didn't know how to use the power, right? I misused it. And so we, when we have power, think of the... Think of the power in your life as a power sander. When we have that, we tend to misuse it. And I think it's because we care most about ourselves, right? It's pretty simple. Like, we're number one in our own minds. You're not thinking about what other people in your life need as much as what you need. And so when you use your own power, you tend to, like, violate the agency, the lives, the wants, and desires of other people. And that's not the way God calls us to live. It hurts other people. So we see these two problems we have with power in the secular kingdom. Two problems with power in our own hearts. We crave it and we misuse it. You could sum these up with, we don't want to be weak. We do not want to be weak. And we can't handle our own strength. Don't want to be weak, can't handle our own strength. Now we're going to look at Jesus in this passage that Elise read. What I want you to see here is that Jesus has limitless power. But he becomes weak. To finally unleash power, to unleash his strength, to save his kingdom. Okay. So first, Jesus has limitless power. So Luke 4.1, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. When this passage says Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, it's referencing this reality the Bible teaches that God is a trinity. Okay. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that these three are the same in substance, equal in power and glory, which is just theological speak for saying like they're kind of three persons, but they're actually one God and they're together. They're united. They're they're united in purpose. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he's with the rest of the triune God. The Holy Spirit is there in him. So everything God can do, Jesus can do because Jesus is God and the other member members of the Trinity are there with him. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he goes into the wilderness in our passage. And it's like he's just brimming with the power, full of the Holy Spirit. He's like, it's overflowing. It's like leaking out of his fingertips. What's he going to do? You know, he goes into the wilderness and he's like amped up, been drinking green tea all day. What is he going to do? And it's a little bit confusing. Um, Before we get to that, what he does, though, let's look at some of the stuff he does in the rest of his life that kind of proves the power, the potency of Jesus. So John 5, he speaks to a man who can't walk. And the power in his words instantly fixes the problems in his bones, muscles, ligaments, and he walks. The power of his words. Luke 8, he walks through a crowd and a sick woman just touches the hem of his robe as he walks by. And she's instantly healed of this disease she's had for years. Jesus said he could feel the power go out of him. John 11, when Jesus' friend Lazarus dies, Jesus goes to the tomb. He sticks his head in the tomb. He says, Lazarus, come out. 
And Lazarus, his dead heart starts pumping. His congealed blood comes uncongealed. It's gross, but like I want you to imagine like this dead guy. The mitochondria in his cells, they come back to life. It's like, what? Uh, Because of the power of Jesus. It's crazy. Matthew 26, in his last days on earth, when Jesus was being arrested and one of his disciples starts defending Jesus, like Peter pulls out his sword and is like, Jesus needs my power. Like, I'm going to chop off this guy's ear. And he does. Jesus says, dude, did you not know that, what does he say? I can't appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Legion is 6,000, the Roman system. 12 legions, 72,000 angels. That's power, guys. A totally different scale. At his beck and call. Totally beyond our power is Jesus' power. It's kind of like when, um, so I played rugby, club rugby in college. And this one time we're out there practicing. And um, this guy shows up on the field next to us and he starts doing sprints. And I just see like, I don't curl my eye and I like turn and look. And like you don't normally see a giant dude that's like actually moving, you know. This guy was big, but he was like booking. He's like really fast. Who is this guy? Then he comes over and starts practicing with us. Turns out his name is Dallas Robinson. He went to my school a few years before I did. Or he went to a different school, but he played on this club for a while. And Dallas Robinson, so 6'4", 226 pounds, um, in a 100-meter dash, he's 0.8 seconds slower than Usain Bolt's world record. So pretty fast. And just a crazy strong, big, fast dude. And ended up, he ended up getting recruited by a U.S. Olympic bobsled team because he can push fast and he's heavy, which makes sleds go fast downhill. So anyway, it was like him compared to me, totally different scale of power, even more so the difference that Jesus' power that he has. So... Jesus' power is of a totally different species. He's not bound by our limitations with power. He's full of the Holy Spirit. There's no limits placed on his ability to do whatever he wants, to get whatever he wants to get, to bring about whatever he wants to happen. And yet, here's the crazy part, he became weak. He becomes weak. Look at our passage. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days <clears throat> he chose to eat nothing during those days anybody here never eaten for 40 days anybody here gone a day probably most of you gone for like a day without eating that stinks <laughs> that's the worst 40 days and when they were ended he was hungry no joke so he is intentionally weakening himself getting about as weak as you can get without dying. What's going on here? It's like Jesus, it's like it's early on in Luke, early on in the story, early in Jesus' life, and here comes this epic showdown with the devil. It's like, sweet, finally, I've been waiting for this. Like, Jesus is here, the devil's here, let's go, Jesus. Like, smack down, finish it, end the devil right here. But it's not what he does. Instead, he starts making himself weak on purpose. And then the devil says to him, he starts tempting with all these stuff. The devil says to him, if you're the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's like, nope, still going to keep fasting, get a little weaker. Like what's happening here? Since we're talking about power, let's talk about jujitsu. So anybody here in martial arts, raise your hand. I'm not a martial artist. We got one, just one. Okay. Noted. Uh, (laughs) 
So this illustration will make sense to none of you. Um, well, I'll try to explain it. Jiu-jitsu gets talked about a little bit in the Matrix, so that's cool. Um, you may know it's one of the martial arts where, Tom, what do you do? Is it jiu-jitsu? Taekwondo. Taekwondo. Okay, boxing. Sweet. All right. You're awesome, Tom. Um, <laughs> Jiu-jitsu is a particular kind of martial art where you use the strength of your opponent against him. You use his momentum against him. Instead of like bunches of kicks and like punches, I was like, punching while I do, anyway. Uh, kicks and punches, you, it's more like holds and grappling and trying to get control over your enemy so that he can't hurt you, right? Um, so the, probably the best uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner of all time, Marcus Buchecha Almeida, um, International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Hall of Fame. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is just like the most elite form. International Hall of Fame, dozens, like literally dozens of first place finishes, like almost over a decade. This guy's nuts. So this week, week I, wow, this week I watched a highlight reel of Marcus, just of some of his craziest moments in jiu-jitsu. And he does this thing that is fascinating and so fun to watch. So go home, Google Marcus Almeida highlights, and it'll blow your mind. He, over and over, he allows his opponent to gain the upper hand. And he'll be in some weird, like, upside down, on his belly, like, it looks like, like you or I could never get out of this hold, right? And then he keeps waiting. Like, he lets the guy think that he's going to win. He lures him in. And then somehow, he flips the switch, and he, like, flips around like crazy some way. And all of a sudden, like, sometimes he's literally, like, spinning on top of the other guy. And all of a sudden, he's got him locked up in this crazy holder, like, flips him over backwards, and the guy's just done. Happens over and over and over and over. He's mastered this art. And I think that's what's going on here with Jesus. Is he chooses to allow his power to lie. Just like subterranean deep. Hidden. He's watching and waiting for the right moment. It hasn't come yet. It's not the time. He's so confident in his strength. That he's content to do something that we're not content to do. We hate to appear weak. But Jesus doesn't mind it. He's content to appear weak, to seem as though he has no power. We're terrified of looking alone, uncool. Like when I walk into the to D Hall, and like even if I'm meeting somebody, like I don't like that space of time between when I meet them and when I'm just like walking alone. I don't like that. I'm like, I don't want people to see me looking alone like a lame person. We don't like that. But Jesus didn't mind that. Like he looks like he looks like a chump here with the devil. And he's okay with that. What was he waiting for? Like, what's he waiting for? You can kind of see hints at it in the way that he responds to the devil's temptations. Each time his answer reveals, he's not looking to look strong, he's focused on his father. Because Jesus knew his status with God, he knew he had all the power. He knew his father loved him. He knew, he knew that he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's content to appear weak for a while, but not forever, right? The goodness of the Father won't suffer the evil of the devil to last forever. The love of the Father won't allow the devil's hatred to reign forever. The healing plan of the Father won't let the devil's corrupting plan to continue forever. And I want you to listen up to this, you guys, because the devil has had a heyday in some of our lives, right? He's made a mess. And so if you're sitting here and you're looking at your life and like, what has happened? How could God let this happen to me? Listen up. Jesus came to prove to you that that is not strong enough for Jesus to not be able to overcome it. Jesus can overcome that. I know that 
Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death, which is the most impressive work of the devil. That's the worst thing the devil can do, right? Is kill you. And Jesus conquered that when he rose from the dead. In undoing that work of the devil, he proved there's no work of evil or pain in your life that he can't undo. He's got it handled. He's got all the power. But the resurrection was just a hint, okay? Like, I don't want you to think that like what we're living in now is just all there is to the Christian life, and we've just got to kind of make the best of it and kind of lick our wounds and, you know, make the best of it. That's not the case because Jesus is coming back. Resurrection was just a cracking the door open on the power of Jesus. We live in the time when Jesus has hinted at his strength, but we haven't yet seen its fullness. So look at the end of time with me. What, what Jesus looks like when he comes to save his kingdom. This gets trippy, y'all, but this is what, this is what the Bible says about Jesus when he comes back. Revelation 19, 11 through 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, the blood of his enemies. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. That's talking about the power of his words, remember? It's imagery. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The one who is content to appear weak will one day return with power. And he's going to save his kingdom. And when that power has come, like a healing flood, every hint of evil and pain and sickness and death are going to be washed away. He says, I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. That's what he does with his power, you guys. We don't have to be afraid of his power. He uses it to heal us. And this speaks to our craving for power and our misuse of power. So if you're like me, if you crave power and you misuse it all the time, I want you to remember power doesn't crave you. It doesn't care about you. It'll be happy to misuse you if you'll give yourself to it. And it doesn't deliver what it promises. Nothing you might do to increase your status, wealth, ability, freedom, nothing you might do owes you any of those things. It's not going to feel bad just to not deliver that to you. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't promise you to make you powerful. And guess what? A lot of you have a lot of power. <laughs> We're here at Washington and Lee at a place where smart, powerful, influential people come. Jesus doesn't need your power. He's got all the power. He calls you to give up power, to become weak, to follow him on the lower path, the path of humility, trusting that you have a father in heaven who holds your future, that it's not on you to work hard enough and earn enough and prove enough that you can have the sort of life that you want. He says he has a life for you that's good enough that you can be willing to give up all those things in order to get that thing that he calls a pearl of great price. So what would it look like this week to relinquish your craving for power? Two ways. First, give it to someone else. This is the easiest way, right? It's like super direct. Give your power to someone else. So if you did the most work on a school project, don't talk about that, but mention how good somebody else did on the project. If you get invited to a party, invite someone else who didn't to come with you. Be their passport. 
If you have your friend group who's all set up just the way you want and you're like, all right, good, I'm set, I've got my cool friends, why don't you go find someone else who doesn't have a friend group and like they did nothing to get into that friend group, bring them in with you. You can do that. That's in your power. There's another way God's word commands us to give up our power each week. This might be weird. Rest. <laughs> have you ever thought it's weird that the, like God builds into your life falling asleep? where you just have to stop doing stuff and become powerless. It's part of being a human. I'm not just talking about sleep. Um, we all sleep at least a little. Um, some of you less than others. I know who you are. Um, we all know the WNL maxim, work hard, play hard, which basically means work hard, party hard. And partying, here's the thing. Like, there's some fun in that, but it's not rest. It's not restful. There's a number of ways that that's true. One way that's true is alcohol actually really hurts like your ability to actually sleep and recover. You can't go into like REM deep sleep when you've had alcohol. Um, this is not like an anti-alcohol soapbox. We can talk about that more some other time. I'm just worried about your rest because God calls us to rest to like relinquish power for a second and just exist. Are you taking any breaks from your life, from your school? Like any breaks at all? What does that look like for you? Like what, you know what happens when you disconnect the phone, like turn off notifications, maybe leave it back in the dorm room, take out the ear pods, leave behind the books and just get alone. You know what happens? What's left? It's just you and the Holy Spirit. You know that he likes that. He likes being with you. Do you like being with yourself? Have you like even given yourself a chance to realize that whether you do or don't? God's word calls us to set aside one day in seven to rest. That's weird. That's where that came from if you wondered why there's like a day off. Um, that's something to build towards. I realize some of you thinking like a whole day of no schoolwork, that might sound crazy. Build towards that. Maybe three hours at a time. Maybe six hours at a time. Just to be silent. Listen to some chill music on you. Don't have to be like super spiritual about it. Just like stop for a second and rest. And remember that God loves you. God has you. He's got your future. It's not on you. We can lay aside our power, become weak because Jesus holds us. And we can live this way not because we're good people, because we're not. I'm not. We can live this way not because we're like, we've got it all figured out. We figured out a special way to be. But because Jesus has come to us. We've met someone who can give us something that we can never earn with our own power. Jesus became weak to give us life with God. And he is returning in strength to give us the kingdom that we long for. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for the chance to experience your power in tastes and beautiful glimpses in our lives. I'm just so thankful, Lord, for how I've seen that in my own life. Thank you for the story that you've given me um, and are giving me. And Lord, I just want that you would give each of these people here a story where they can see your power at work and see that it's on you, it's not on them. And that beautiful things are happening in their life that they didn't earn. And just show us your grace, Jesus. Um, I ask that you do that for us this week um, and going forward in Jesus' name. Amen.